Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to tonight's show. My name is Marcel Reed, and I'm making a presentation of Dr. David Moskowitz's program on modern medicine. His guest tonight will be Arlene Mullins, presented to you on TS Radio, founded by Marty Oakley. Good evening. Good evening, Marcel. Good evening. Thank you so much for um, hosting these shows, and thank you so much for having our special guest tonight, Arlene Mullins, the the founder of the Dialysis Foundation. Um, I will get off the line now, and please let me know if you need anything from me. So tonight's show is about cracks appearing in the dialysis industry. Last week on Tuesday night, Noble Nordisk issued a press release saying that their Ozempic trial for diabetic kidney disease, which had begun uh, a couple of years ago, was being stopped a year early because of unexpectedly good results. Uh, The next day, the dialysis industry, especially the big three, Fresenius, DaVita, and Baxter, lost $5 billion in market capitalization. And the hemorrhaging continued for the next few days with unusually heavy trading, stabilized at about 15 to 20% below what it was on Wednesday. Uh, of last week, the 11th of October, Uh, but their share prices have not climbed back yet. The question is, will the dialysis industry recover its former market cap, or will it continue to hemorrhage as further disclosures are made, specifically that Quinipril unlike Ozempic, Farsiga, and Jardiance, can actually prevent dialysis 90% of the time in diabetes and hypertension, and perhaps other uh, causes of, of dialysis, like focal segmental, glomerulosclerosis, IgA nephropathy, uh, fibrillary glomerulonephritis, and the like. And secondly, are there legal and criminal charges coming up for the dialysis industry. For the second question, I am very pleased tonight to have Arlene Mullen, the founder of Dialysis Advocates, and a tireless tireless, um, crusader for the rights of patients already on dialysis. Arlene, are you there? Dr. Moskowitz, you also were a victim of this this industry. I call them a criminal organization, period. I start, I'll give you a brief synopsis, and I won't go too deep, because 25 years documents to prove what I'm saying 
will just confuse a lot of people. When I say a criminal organization, I was a worker in dialysis, and, I, and when the for-profits came in, and there was a price on each patient's head, um, at the time it was $60,000 per person, per patient, to that was given to the doctors, the nephrologists, in order to go into business with them because they were immune from the Stark Law. This even, this has gone too far. In this criminal organization, I happened to see a big difference when we were sold. The cheaper the care, the more profit they were making. The patients, I lost pretty close to 17 patients in a short period of time. These were my friends. We had time in order to get to know our patients and give them excellent care. Now it's a jiffy loop to where you can have too many patients due to the fact that there's no standard of care in this industry. Each, each clinic can make up their own policy. So this leaves the patients at, and, you know, out in the cold. When I started, I saw, I knew something was wrong. I came from a strong lab background, which everyone was accountable for any mistake that they made. Wrong patient, wrong report, you were fired. I don't care how long you were living there, you know, working there. And it turned into a MASH unit in the, in the dialysis center for me. There was no accountability. Um, training bothered me. Training was anybody with a high school diploma, um, no, no medical background, and they're put on the floor and trained by each clinic in their own policy. They are taught. Um, I learned, I, I trained with nurses. I learned on a tape how to, what a healthy heart sounded like. This to me was dangerous. Um, and then to find out that you don't have to be certified, you earn as you learn on these patients. You do not take any certification for a year and a half. You can't even be a hairdresser without having a cert certification and being followed up that you can do human hair. That has left to many aneurysms, which is um, people not knowing how to stick, because these are lifelines. These um, companies also did away with any kind of iodine. You use cheaper, you know, one ply, um, and everybody has, now it's instead of the potassium, one, two, and three, they just give a two. Lab work. They own their own laboratories. They send the blood off to a laboratory in another state. That blood, a lot of times, was not spun down right. I saw things that alerted me, and I ethically and morally could not work for them anymore. And I went up to the U.S. Senate. Senator DeGrassley at that time was the chair of the Committee on Aging the Office of Inspector General and the Government Accountability Office found severe problems in this industry. This was 1998 when I started. 
it was so bad, they called in the OIG, and we had a Senate hearing in 2000. In this Senate hearing, our patients were listed as undue risk, and what happened? Nothing. And all the documentation that they had, all the support we had that said that what we were saying was true was dismissed. Nothing happened. So I didn't become an advocate. Patients started reaching out at the Senate level, Committee on Aging, getting my number, and then calling me to help them. So that is how I became an advocate. What I have seen as far as being an advocate is one size fits all. Nephrology um, doctors have sold their prescription pads to the corporations, the nonprofit and for profit. There is no difference except for a tax basis. I do believe part of the stock going down is civil rights now is actively involved in these monopolies. So when a patient um, has a complaint, um, they would go up to their governor, they would go to their senator, or they would go to their state senator, or they would go to ADA, or they would go to civil rights, anyone who would listen to them. And where did it end up? It went up to HHS, down to CMS, Consolidated Medical Services, in order to um, answer their complaint, which goes back to the industry. And a patient could not get to civil rights or anything like that. It took 22 years before I got to, 20 years before I got to civil rights. It kept going back to the networks. Now, the networks and the oversight, um, they came up with Medicare, CMS, with these contracts. Let's give our patients a contract. Guess who created these contracts? Medicare, CMS, and the industry. A behavioral contract, what is that? We also have documentation that these patients have been charted in their charts false write-ups in order to get rid of them. And when I say get rid of them, they start with the behavioral contract. Even though it's nothing on there is true, if you want to live, you sign it. Then the next step is the termination letter. And this is the key. When you terminate a patient, they lose all their benefits. It is a death sentence. So they don't have to prove anything. The clinics don't have to prove anything. These companies don't have to prove anything. The fact that they say it, it's true, and it is automatically signed off by the oversight networks and CMS without ever contacting the patient's side of the story. That is why patients cannot, it's no due process. That is why patients cannot get their medical records. They also, um, I've had patients who have been told to go to a certain clinic that they're um, approved and this is their starting date. And they say, what is written in your, and they have the date, the time to go. Some people travel out of state. 
They get there on the date and the time and say, we can't take you. We can't take you what is written in their chart, their records. Now, they're supposed to do the HIPAA and whatever, just send the prescription, uh, the last few, and that's it, which they do. But they have a computer that tells all the dirt on the patient. So that's why there's blacklisting to where no patient can get in and they have to find their own place. Plus when you, you die, and I've had patients die. So um, tell me, um, you said that it's taken 20 years to get um, civil rights prosecutors involved. Um, right. Could you talk more about that? The, um, Civil rights, I had a patient who was a paralegal that knew how to break in and they, she checked everything and they knew that this was unusual because you couldn't have, instead of sending it directly to the network, they called her. And that is when, and the documents we sent to support her, civil rights did an investigation for a couple of years with this patient, this patient one. But they also realized that the nephrology groups, clinics, companies, and the doctors are in cahoots, and these patients suffer because the untrained workers, um, civil rights is involved in this now. Um, which this is the Office of Civil Rights in uh, Department of Justice? Department of Justice also, civil rights is working with the Department of Justice. I think they've made a move already, but the sad part is with them, um, I've been reading where they're wanting to do bankruptcy, um, which, you know, they would not have the money to pay off some of the horrible things that happens to these patients. But they also have Title VI and Title VII of the Office of Civil Rights, OCR, Title VI and Title VII clearly states no matter who or what title who has intimidated, harassed, terminated, been part of it, can be sued by the patient person. And that is where the patients will get their justice because each CEO has known for years CMS has known about this for years. They have been fully documented with my documents, but nobody cares. Nobody cares because this is a disposable um, group of people. If they cost you too much money, you're gone. If you complain for a long time, illegally terminated, you're gone and you die. So you're, this you're, is, absolutely, you're absolutely right. This is um, these are the poorest people in the country. Um, they're um, at, at least threefold more people of color than whites. Absolutely. Um, and um, so it's largely a minority. It's a very heavily uh, weighted minority population that. Uh, isn't used to much political power in the first place, 
but suddenly right. these people be- become worth a hundred thousand dollars each. Right. But still have no that's their business. And the thing is, I have it in writing from the network back in 1998 that there is a price on these patients' head. The government pays, this is out of our tax dollars, the government pays for just about everything. But they make their money, as you know, Dr. Moskowitz, by injectables and little side services. They own everything and have the contracts in these hospital hospitals. Civil rights asked me to take a hundred of randomly of my patients over the years. Ninety one out of a hundred were minorities or in bad zip codes. Mm-hmm. Nine were Caucasian. That is it is minority and I didn't know I didn't suspect for years because that has never entered my world. Then I started thinking, my gosh, you know, all I'm getting are minorities. So I put that on my advocacy form and it proved true. There's a, two things really. Um, I started out in 93 looking for the African gene. The reason why uh, there are three times more people of African ancestry on on dialysis. There were many reasons given at the time. Um, one was the grim hypothesis uh, that a, 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 a PhD named Charles Grimm had offered that the um, the middle passage was actually a selection for people with high blood pressure and kidney failure that people in okay. West Africa didn't have much high blood pressure and um, and whites on the other side of the middle passage uh, in the U.S. didn't have much blood pressure, but that the people who survived the um, the ship voyage were somehow selected for uh, for high blood pressure and kidney failure. It turns out that the Grimm hypothesis is actually wrong, that if if you live in rural Nigeria and move to Lagos to the city and start eating high salt Western diet and don't exercise as much as you used to on the farm, that the rates of hypertension approach those of African Americans. Um, secondly, this ACE deletion deletion genotype is like 45% of Nigerians about a third of St. Louis African-Americans where I did the study, and is only 25% of Caucasians. So there's a gradient of the deletion-deletion genotype, which means more ACE activity. Why was the ACE activity so high in West Africa? Because ACE is uh, angiotensin II, the product of ACE, is important for sweat gland hypertrophy, as well as for kidney hypertrophy and kidney failure. And if you didn't hypertrophy your sweat glands right away, you wouldn't be able to thermoregulate. It's the same reason why people are darker skinned on the equator, because the UVB light is very damaging to the sweat glands. And without sweat glands, you don't cool off, you don't sweat. And so the the slave coats, 
uh, Nigeria and uh, and Angola and uh, that western part of Africa, where most of the of the of the blacks who came to Brazil and the United States and the Caribbean came from. Um, the white soldiers from England and Holland and France who manned those slave forts actually died within a month, and it was called the white man's um, the white man's grave because they had no melanin to protect the sweat glands, and they would die of fever. It was thought by historians that the fever was due to malaria, but malaria doesn't kill people acutely in a month. They were dying of heat exhaustion uh, because they they weren't ACD and didn't have melanin. Anyway, uh, to make a, a interesting story um, less interesting, um, the uh, turns out there's one ACE inhibitor that prevents dialysis, namely quinipril. And um, what's of course interesting is that the FDA has banned the manufacture of quinipril for the last year or so. And it's, even though it will keep you off dialysis, it's no longer available. Right. So this, but, that uh, was point uh, one. Sorry, Arlene. Point two is I went to CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, spoke with Sean Tunis and his assistant, Sandy Foote, in October of 2004, showed them my paper with a 1,000 patients who did better with Quinipril, were kept off dialysis, and they had absolutely zero interest because it would mean losing 7% of their budget, 7% of their jobs. It wasn't their money. It wasn't their lives on the line, but it was their jobs. And so this is a very cynical industry. All parts of it are equally cynical and evil when it comes to their abandonment of public health. Well, with full knowledge. With absolute full knowledge, CMS, I went down to CMS. uh, They wanted a meeting with me um, in Maryland. I went up there. So no one can say they didn't know, and I took patience. They don't care. But honestly, if they don't, could have patients, they don't have money. The government pays for just about everything, and the only thing that generates their money is how many patients they put on, and then to treat the patients with as little as they can get away, because who belongs, who's most important, the patient? No. Who's more important, the um, corporate? And then the investors. Warren Buffett owned 70% of this, of DeVita. And this is trading as far as I'm concerned because I've been in the gutter with these people. This is criminal. This is, this is not even treating them right. It should be a nurturing place. It should be with qualified staff, not a year and a half later, but Dr. Moskowitz, don't you think the diet has a lot to do with it in some of these neighborhoods that they don't have fresh fruits? Marcel told me a long years ago that your health care is according to your zip code. 
Well, that's that's true. There are a, there's a stroke belt in the U.S. that um, in the that's in the South, and, and it, basically it's the old Confederacy, and it's the area of the country with the highest um, black population, the highest rates of poverty. Um, it could it could well be that um, that diet and, and salt intake and lack of medical care, uh, lack of good hypertension, good blood pressure control, mm-hmm. all of that are contributing because as you know, half of dialysis patients are told in the ER that they need to start dialysis. That's the first time they've ever heard in their lives that they have kidney right. failure. Doctors are notoriously bad about following kidney function. I actually just got fired from a job because I told every patient what stage of chronic kidney disease they were in, and the patients hadn't been told for 25 years that they even had a kidney stage to worry about. And um, and uh, it upset the patients so much that the corporate uh, office let me go because I was uh, getting a tsunami of complaints. Rather than being an educator for my patients, I was considered a troublemaker to disturb them. You were taking away their money. Well, and, and, you know, this ecosystem where primary care doctors funnel patients to nephrologists who then see them uh, as a loss leader until they finally go on dialysis and then start, um, you know, earning a hundred grand a year for the the nephrologist for the two or three years that they happen to stay alive. It's a diagnosis worse than cancer. Oh yeah, yeah. And the thing is to be treated so poorly. I mean, these patients are afraid. A lot of these patients oh, are afraid of clinics because. Yeah, and it's like, well, you know, they they don't complain. You want you could sit there and know, and have patients. I've had them to where the worst atrocities have happened to them. Yet, if anybody comes in and asks them, everything's okay because well, they bit, know. Pardon? I was gonna I was gonna say it's a bit like being in the concentration camp in Nazi Germany, or or Nazi yeah. Poland. You know, uh, anything you say will get you, uh, they have complete control over your life and death. All they have to do is stick you funny the next time, have you bleed out, make the attachment of your tubing a little too loose, and you bleed out all over the floor. It's very simple to kill somebody in dialysis. There was a dialysis nurse in Texas who... um, accidentally or not put bleach in the lines and killed two or three patients and and was convicted for it. It it is a horrible condition to be in. The thing is, we have a caller on the line. They'd like to ask a question. Um, I hope that you'll be able to answer it for them. Please hold. 858 Oh, no, I'm just listening. Hi. Hi. Do you have a comment or question? Oh, no, no, I was just listening. I was just listening. Sorry. (laughs) 
I was just listening no in to the, to the show. Oh, okay, absolutely. Hold up. Let, let me jump in then um, because Arlene talked about corporate. I went to the Fresenius annual meeting in Orlando one year, and they had invited mm-hmm. Kathleen Sebelius. Do you remember who she was? Oh, I know who she is, yeah. She was the she was secretary one of, the, um, of HHS. Right, she was secretary of HHS. She um, was formerly the governor of Kansas. She was Obama's point person for Obamacare. So she was paid some inordinate amount to give a lecture to the 10,000 people in this enormous auditorium in Orlando at the convention center. And she basically told the audience, um, you know, at Medicare, we spend a lot of our money, 7% of our budget, 1% of the entire nation's spending goes on dialysis. But we can't do anything about it. We expect you in the industry to get us out of this fix. So afterwards, I ran after her, and she was literally Uh running away from me. She's about five feet tall. In in all the pictures, you know, she they take a picture of her with the camera looking up, so she looked like she was normal height, but she's a tiny little lady, and um, you know, I'm I'm about a foot bigger than her, and it wasn't that hard to catch up to her, but she was running fast, and I asked her, um, would she be interested in knowing about my protocol for preventing 90% of dialysis? Well, she had no interest. She was, she had to be somewhere very fast. Then I said, well, do you know any, she didn't know anybody at CMS anymore. She'd been out for a year. She had absolutely no idea who I should talk to at CMS. And pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. Go ahead. I'm going to name, uh, name a name. Uh, when I first started and my complaint went up to CMS, um, from the Senate, um, when I was going to have that meeting, Nancy Andy Pearl was got one of my complaints from one of the senators, and um, William Roper um, also got the same message. Well, when Tommy Thompson came in as HHS secretary, um, right. Thomas Scully who was the chair of what is now DeVita, they, they went over, Thomas Scully put both of those people on the board of DeVita making millions of dollars. She also was one of the people under Obamacare. They call her the Sarina of Obamacare. Now, the thing is, is they're still there. They still get money from DeVita. It's a big, big payoff with money. Also, there's one um, chief medical officer that was going to help me. He goes, Arlene, this is wrong. Barry Straub, I'm going to name him. He said, this is wrong. I have email from him that the only thing he can do as chief medical officer is to, if we have to take legal action. 
how Barry come we Straub have to take the, Barry Straub was the chief, chief medical officer for Medicare, right, for CMS? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I contacted him after Sean Tunis, and actually every every uh, chief medical officer and administrator for CMS since 2004, and to a person, they have ignored me. Yep, I know oh, Barry Straub. He's a nephrologist. Patrick Conway, which is the new chief, uh, the chief of medical, um, are you a chief medical officer now for Medicare. I have yeah, a letter written from He's a pediatrician. Well, he's he's, uh, he's he's a joke. I sent him files. I sent seventy-five patients I had that I had no response because they came up with this little trick that they would give me a special form. The network was not allowed to talk to me. I didn't know it at that time. But they came up with this special CMS, so I sent them 75 cases. Crystal Russell, which was my handler under CMS, verbally told me that I said I haven't received any, because every every patient is entitled to a navigate other choice. I said, I haven't received anything back from you. Well... That's CMS. Um, CMS legally has to hand it to the network, which is contracted by the federal government. So there was a lot of CMS hiding what has been going on for years, and I have it in writing. And this is costing lives. Uh, Patrick, um, Patrick uh, my handler now was Todd Johnson up in CMS. And what does he do? He schedules meetings, and then he's not there. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to do Central Time, Eastern Time. They have done, and I can prove they have full knowledge of what these patients, the terminations, the illegal terminations, and they have been silent. And this is the third Yeah, I I got the, so I wrote to all the surgeons general. Um, mm-hmm. and Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, um, because, you know, it's not good news if your fighting force goes on dialysis, um, you know, it decreases your fighting strength. So the Army, yeah. bless, the, bless their hearts, actually invited me to D.C. to talk. So right. everybody was there, Um except for the nephrologists from Walter Reed. I mean, I I came that morning from St. Louis. It was snowing, you know, lightly in D.C. I got there. But the nephrologists from Walter Reed couldn't make the 30-minute car trip. And without nephrologists, the group broke up because they couldn't evaluate any of my claims. So that's why the Army still has dialysis. These guys are very adept at dodging responsibility. But they I have it in writing. I have responses from them. I have it's been ten years and I still haven't heard about the seventy five patients. And several of them had passed before they would do anything. You have meetings, uh Davida, Davida, if you're gonna advocate for Davida, you have to come in person because they don't know who's on the phone. Well, they, it's not their oh. choice. It's not their meeting. So they block 
They changed their email addresses. They have blocked every single advocacy that I had. And I don't have the money to travel in person. I don't, you know, these, I don't charge anybody anything for this. So they're, they're illegal because they don't want to know. I had um, Frank Maddock, that name must ring a bell with you, um, out of, um, out of uh, Fresenius, chief medical officer at that time. Oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. I oh, yeah. I went to Palm Springs, and um, he was going to have a talk, you know, because I have walked the boat so much. So I do feel um, he came, and my neighbor was the chef at this country club. So I said, let's eat outside. And he ordered the salad, and these finches came over and started attacking his salad. But the point oh. was, he goes, you know, Arlene. He goes, you know, Arlene, he says, um, you, we, you have... You have patients, but there are some bad patients out there. You know, there there are some really ones that really need to be terminated. I said, really? I said, and then he turns around and he says, I said, well, Frank, I said, let me tell you. He goes, if you have a lot of bad patients, I said, you have a lot of them because I get them. But the point is, they know, everyone has known, I can prove they know, 25 years with all the documentation advocating, I kept records of who knew what, when, and emails and faxes. So it's going, it's, if they're out of the picture, there was a lawsuit by Reynolds, Chris Reynolds and Reynolds Law Firm in, um, in Houston, and a doctor sold his patients, and DeVita sent him what he could um, order. He said, I didn't sell my prescription pad. So he tried to get out of the deal. He wasn't going to tell, have them tell him what he could and could not do. He won because the patients belong to the nephrologist. These criminals need to be broken up. The patients belong to the nephrologist not um, one size fits all. This is a death sentence. And as you know, Dr. Moskowitz, we're the third highest mortality rate in the industrialized world, and we pay the most money. Right. Our dialysis patients actually uh, have a much shorter lifespan than European uh, patients. And, um, And I mean, England, has half the incidence uh, per person, you know, per 100,000 population of dialysis than we do. And it it may be, um, you know, because we got a lot of ACE DD genotype people, one of which is me, um, uh, that we got the survivors, you know, who could sweat well and hold on to salt well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what what um, angiotensin two lets you do, and who, who then down the road get hypertension and diabetes and renal failure. We may be genetically more at risk of renal failure than than Europe, 
certainly not more than the Pacific Islanders who have five times more renal failure than white. It doesn't it doesn't so much matter what your genetic predisposition is as long as there's a, a way to prevent it and it's well known. There has been a way to prevent it for thirty years. No. It remains you, unknown thanks to healthcare. They didn't want an answer. They don't want they don't want an answer on um, helping patients or whatever. I mean, when I started dialysis in the 90s, I had patients who were 20 years, 10 years, because they got proper care. You know what I'm saying? They got proper care, and it wasn't one size fits all. And um, instead of doing weight, every with weight, as you know, they have um, that uh, probe. I can't. Um, think of the name right now, that tells the actual dry rate of a patient. So we are doing guesstimates on dry weight, and yet we have the ability to know exactly what, when a patient is dry weighted, you know, has the dry weight. And that yeah, still works. I don't know the new technology because we always had to estimate dry weight on yeah. a patient. They have, um, I think it's called a protein. Proton or something, and um, they're supposed to have been on the machine, but they don't want to know. And it's like, you know, a person, it doesn't know how to profile the sodium because we're learning, you know. And it's like giving a patient eating potato chips and telling them not to drink anything because they've given a sodium overload. And then they get yelled at when they come in because they, their dry weight isn't what it's supposed to be. No, the care I have seen has gone down, and I think that instead of nurturing, um, and there's no, uh, there's no standard of care in this industry, and they can throw as many patients as they want for one technician. All you have to do in most of these clinics is have one nurse. That's it. That's so right. you have one nurse. There's no crash cards. I could tell you horror stories all night long. But what the point is, they know it's wrong, and all those that have sold their soul, and these patients have paid the price. I got calls at 2, 3, 4 in the morning where they deny them care and have them stay 12 hours or 8 hours and tell them to eat more potassium because they're not near death and long and death enough that uh, they need to go eat some potassium and come back the next day because they don't qualify as an emergency treatment. Now they're doing, I don't know if you've heard, they're doing second chances. Because I haven't gotten many terminations, I'd say, over the past two to three months. But what is called a second chance from the National Kidney Foundation, where if you sign a contract, even though you were illegally terminated, that you will be a good boy and good, good girl. You can live. But what happens when the spotlight is off of them? It'll be back to normal. Well, I'm I'm not a real fan of the National Kidney Foundation. Uh, well, refuse, no, all the nonprofits are just as bad as the for-profits and government. The nonprofits will cease to exist when kidney f- 
failure is solved, which it was 30 years ago. And as long as, but what, what's so cool about them is they realize um, that as long as they didn't endorse the, the protocol, nobody in the media would pick it up because the media is completely cowardly when it, and incompetent when it comes to reading science articles. So without any uh, publicity, dialysis gets to trundle along. It's as if everybody in, in, in the iron lung industry was successful at suppressing Jonas Salk's work in the early 1950s. That's exactly the equivalent of where we're at in dialysis. I, well, heard, um, I have a question. I'm sorry. And my question is very simple. Um, it seems to be a renewed interest in this field. It seems to be um, the cause du jour. So what do you think is causing that? Do you think it has been the little bit of exposure you've gotten? Do you think it's been organizing? Why do you think now people are interested in it? Arlene, why don't you answer that first? Uh, people are interested in it, in it now is um, the fact that when I first started doing dialysis as an advocate, it's just something that nobody, I think we were one of the few original um, websites. I think that education, but also they get, they get a lot of faults. It's like right now, the industry knows, and I swear civil rights is right on this, is the fact that now all of a sudden these um, network now has a um, has a on how to be on dialysis national kidney foundation they have they bought the industry's bought up just about all of the websites so they get um, and then the patients lobby for them each Davida and Persinius have lobbyist groups to get what they want. But the point is, and a patient wants to feel like they're special, but they're also getting used. It's hard to tell a patient no. But no, I think it's um, more people are coming to board. I think the industry is really busy with public relation firms. My, so my take on... Um why dialysis might be getting more attention than usual is, I'm afraid, is entirely cynical. It's not due to public health, in my opinion. It's not due to civil rights abuses because nobody cares about about poor people or or people of color or or sick people. There just is no sympathy in the United States. There hasn't been any since the 1960s, I'd have to say. But what really gets people upset is when their stock portfolios tank. And I, I really think the only attention, the only negative attention that dialysis has gotten has been in the past week when it lost $10 billion in market cap and hasn't been able to regain it. And that's only because another powerful corporation, Novo Nordisk, dared to challenge them with its super expensive 
medication, Ozempic. And it's just, it's like the, the dinosaurs, the corporations are fighting it out between them. And we poor citizens, tiny mammalian rodents who had to watch the dinosaurs battle it out until, until the comet finally came to the Yucatan and plunged us all into nuclear winter. And we were able to emerge without these powerful, rapacious raptors, you know, chewing us up for lunch. I, I don't know when we're going to come back and be a political force like the people were in the 60s. But um, to me, it's only because one company, Novo Nordisk, you know, dared to take on the big three, Baxter, DeVita, and Fresenius. I still think individual people and, and the tragedies of their lives, the 20 million at least uh, kidney patients who've died since I've had my protocol up and running, the, the 130,000 Americans who every year go on dialysis, the 350 Americans who died today on dialysis and will continue to die, um, I, I, don't see, I don't see the dialysis industry changing unless injustice becomes much more widely known. Well, I have two yeah. questions about that. Um, I'm sorry, Arlene. Um, one question is about organizing these numbers, raw numbers, though I've been, you know, Arlene, you've been at the summit now for eight years, and we have always uh, tried to support this. And Dr. Moskowitz has, you know, been frequently a guest at the summit. But I think that these numbers are lost. You know, I, you, they, I think the numbers are lost. I think if people knew that 350 people a day were dying from dialysis, principally in, in certain zip codes, death by zip, I think there might be more interest. But I think, I don't know, but I think that the numbers are not sinking in, nor the fact that if you're in uh, Europe, you live X amount of years on dialysis, and in America, I, I believe the number is two to five years. Um, I don't think, is that the correct number, two to five years? Two to three, I think you exaggerate. Yeah. I was trying to room a little more hope. Uh, no because uh, there's no hope. Yeah, one of, okay, well, one of a frequent guest on another podcast that we host here on uh, TS Radio, founded by Marty Oakley. He was he was on the uh, interview on the twelfth. He was on dialysis. A a brave fierce man who was an advocate for black farmers. And his name was Eddie Glog, and he, I mean, Eddie Slaughter, I'm sorry. And, you know, he he was on dialysis, and he just, like, passed like that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes. So, I, you know, I, I come to you um, to hear about, 
these stories in the abstract. But when you live in a world and it impacts you at this level, it's very it's very difficult to stay for this to continually be an abstract story. We're going to be doing a can memorial. I, the fourth. Can I say one thing, Michelle? Yes. If it hadn't have been for you, um, when I went to the summit, the whistleblower summit, because as a whistleblower, you feel kind of, and like Dr. Moskowitz, you kind of feel like you're all alone. You know there's something wrong with you because nobody else sees it. I went to that whistleblower summit, and I felt I was home. I found nurturing. I found that other people were going through the same thing that I was going through, and it wasn't abnormal. Marty Oakley um, did some shows. I think they're still on there with actual patients. So I felt you guys, and chilly most, which is, you know, I, I would got nowhere. I'd still be circling the brain if it hadn't been for you three. And I want to thank you because it provided a platform to where the patients could speak out on these shows, and it got out. It really did. It got out. And it got to be where the industry would at least listen, do as they please, but at least listen. But I think it's reached almost to a tipping point if we if we continue. Well, I hope it so. Has I to want to standard of care in this industry. I want to thank you and Dr. Dr. Moskowitz because, uh, as I told him, there is an organization of whistleblowers who are doctors. And I have seldom seen anyone moved against the way that the large corporation, large medical corporations will move against a doctor who is brave enough and possesses enough humanity to speak out. And uh, I've told Dr. Moskowitz about them. It's called the Similwise Society. And these, this is a group of doctors who had the unmitigated gall to tell the truth and to think of the patient first. And they become whipping posts. It seems mm-hmm. like anyone actually stands up for the dispossessed really all mm-hmm. suffer the same fate. They try and destroy you. I think it's my hardest thing. Um, that if you were unhinged or unstable or whatever, you've got you a crazy woman. Um, I think that's part of what we all go through. And Dr. Moskowitz, no matter nurses lose their license, they go after them. This is an evil, evil criminal organization, these for-profit. And DCI, which is non-profit, has... Um, I've had quite a few terminations from them, too. It's like they all have the same rule book. Yeah, I call it medical slavery, and I'm an abolitionist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely. Well, yeah, I'd like to invite you all back um, because we will be doing a program um, 
with the black farmers, and um, we will honor many of the black farmers because people in rural communities do not have access to good health care, and often they certainly don't have access to specialized health care like this. Um, that will be on the 26th, and um, Dr. Moskowitz will be having a, uh, a special program, and that will be on Thursday, November 2nd. And Arlene is always welcome. I want to thank you so much for the work that you have done, for the lives you have saved, and for the lives you are trying to save. I hope that um, you can have this on your website, Dr. Moskowitz, and Arlene, perhaps you can put this on your website so that your people can listen to it. You can pick this up in reruns uh, on a number of platforms in the next 30 to 45 minutes. It should be published. So if you're on Apple or if you're on Spotify or, or any of a host of platforms, um, this can be replayed. You can listen to it because it is full of information. I want to thank the both of you, and I want to thank the listening audience and anyone that I didn't get to. I didn't want to <laughs> call someone again that perhaps didn't have their hand up. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time out so that you can hear this information from two brave, fearless whistleblowers. Thank you. Tune in on Thursday the 26th. Dr. Moskowitz, Arlene, do you yes, have thanks. anything? Thank I you. I wanted to thank you both so much. I, I thought it was a terrific show. Thank you. Well, I think, well, you know, the thing is, is we both, we both have been put through different sides of this you know you lost you've suffered the most you, oh, you know what I'm saying I wouldn't say that well but 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 so have you we both suffered but man we are a dynamic duo I, I mean, know I really appreciate yeah. what you said well I you know I everything I say and I've told myself this, I can support. Oh, sure. Um, they thought I was dumber than a bag of rocks, so therefore they gave me busy work. But I have all CEOs. I have all of Medicare, chief medical officers. It has to stop, and they have to do some examples in this. But civil rights, I know, um, it's going to break up the nephrology groups as far as the monopoly. They control all one area. And if I've done anything is that civil rights has the documents and information to do this. I hope you kept copies. I will. <laughs> I'll get a copy. Good. Anyhow, all right. Thank you. Well, thank you Mark. so much. My pleasure. And they've had a trouble. Huh? Yeah. Oh, I, well, getting good trouble. 